This is 560 WFIL. Hi there, and welcome to a special episode of our Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine. In our first half hour today, I'd like to focus squarely on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It was indeed 500 years ago this Tuesday, October 31st, 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther performed an act of defiance that, at least symbolically, began what became known as the Protestant Reformation of the Church which up to that point had been dominated by Roman Catholicism. Luther's main objection was centered around the practice of selling indulgences. What's an indulgence? Well, the church proclaimed the notion that those bound for heaven after physical death must spend time in a spiritual way station of sorts known as purgatory, where they suffer as their sins are expiated or removed so that they can someday go to heaven. The process could take thousands of years, and no one wanted to think of their relatives or themselves suffering for that long. So the idea of selling indulgences was born. For the right price, you could purchase a uh, get-out-of-purgatory-free card for yourself or a dearly departed loved one. In fact, one of the people authorized by the church to make money by selling indulgences was Johann Tetzel, who had a little jingle he used. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Business was apparently brisk. Well, this concept was really the last straw for Martin Luther, so he wrote a biblical response to the corrupt practice of indulgences and other issues, which became the 95 Theses. Luther then posted them on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, 500 years ago this week. Luther's timing was providential, and his writings were the match that lit the fires of the Protestant Revolt. You might understandably think of Luther primarily as a theologian or preacher, but he was also a focused and prolific hymn writer who invigorated singing in what became known as the Protestant Church. How the congregation sang was a key question for Luther. He believed that a truly biblical church would be one where every believer was actively participating in every part of the service. Luther believed in the incredible magnitude and glory of God, which we might only apprehend this side of heaven, much less comprehend. Now, the Reformation was centered around the five basic tenets known by the Latin word sola. Sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christos, and soli deo glory. The five solas tell us that Scripture alone is our highest authority, and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Keith Getty joins me now. You know him as the songwriter side of the musical power couple Keith and Kristen Getty. They're bringing their amazing Irish Christmas show to Reading, PA in December, and we'll talk more about that very shortly. But Keith's songwriting points beautifully to the precepts of the Reformation, so I'd like to discuss them with him as we play a few of his timeless songs. So, Keith Getty, welcome back to the Mark Daniels Show. Well, Keith, I received email from Getty Music last week talking about five of your modern hymns that communicate and honor the concepts behind the five solas of the Reformation. I want to talk about a few of them as we go along here. For example, Sola Scriptura, which is exhibited in your song, Speak, O Lord. How do you address the primacy and the power of Scripture alone through that song? We're enjoying the music of Keith and Kristen Getty as we honor the five solas of the Protestant Reformation here on the Mark Daniels Show. We just discussed Sola Scriptura. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone. Those three words really transformed your career in ministry. Tell us the story behind that powerful modern hymn, Keith and Kristen Getty, In Christ Alone. To our listeners, read about the Protestant Revolt and hear the songs of the Reformation at gettymusic.com slash reformation. That's gettymusic.com slash reformation. Then log on gettymusic.com slash Christmas and get your tickets for Sing, an Irish Christmas tour coming to the Santander Performing Arts Center in Reading, PA, Thursday, December 21st at 7.30 p.m. It is a beautiful venue with great sound. And Keith, tell us about a few of the musical experiences we can expect to enjoy that night. Keith and Kristen Getty are joined by their band of instrumentalists fusing Celtic, bluegrass, Americana, and classical music, as well as the cultural dance and choral sounds of the holiday in a program that unites tradition and innovation in celebration of this season. Tickets are available now at gettymusic.com online. Gettymusic.com. Scroll down to the link for Sing, an Irish Christmas tour coming to the Sandander Performing Arts Center in Reading, December 21st. I will definitely be there, and I pray you will be too. Keith, as always, an honor. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's always an honor to be on the show, so thank you for, thank you for having, me, having us back. Well, I received an email from Getty Music last week talking about five of your modern hymns that communicate and honor the concepts behind the five solas of the Reformation. I want to talk about just a couple of them, if I may. For example, Sola Scriptura, which is exhibited in your song, Speak, O Lord. How do you address the primacy and and the power of Scripture alone through that song? It's what old hymn books would have called a hymn of illumination. Hmm. In other words, it's a preparation we're studying scripture. Um, at the broadest level, you know, Luther is my hero at many levels. When we started to write hymns in the year 2000, we actually wrote a three-point goal built around Luther's vision for hymnody, which he believed was built around a biblical view of hymnody. And that was the importance of getting the congregation singing, the importance of getting them singing the Word so that they would learn their faith through that and carry their faith out of the church into the week. And thirdly, um, the importance uh, of having a high view of music, and so, and so Luther Luther was a huge influence in me that way. And then, when of course, when it came to how we interpret that, well, the, the idea of this song is to prepare our hearts and our minds for for, for listening to the Word of God. And uh, so, for example, there was actually an old Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, did a did a study on a blesses he who trembles at my word. And I thought about that a lot, and thinking, you know, when I'm preparing for to listen to a sermon. Am I trembling at God's Word? And yet that's, that's what the Scripture is implying we should be doing. So I talked to Alistair Begg, my pastor, about it at the time. I, if he wasn't even my pastor, we were living in Switzerland, and I said, Alistair, what would you want to sing before a sermon? And he goes, I want a song that says, sit up, concentrate, pay attention. If you actually believe what you say you believe, this is the most important thing in your week. And so it was a song that was really there to help us prepare our minds for listening to the Word of God. So that, that, that's how the, sort of the, the origins of Speak, O Lord, happened. Listen to these words. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord.
talk about another one of the solas, solus Christus, in Christ alone. I mean, those uh, three words really transformed your life. Tell us the story behind <laughs> that, that powerful modern hymn. Well, it's yet another of the links that we have to Luther, and that was the, the first, when we started then talking about these hymns and telling people, you know, who were in the church music world or the, the Christian music industry, the importance of writing hymns, we kind of got laughed at and and just laughed out of all the offices. And then I had the privilege of meeting Stuart Townend, and I said, let's try writing one hymn. And so he wrote this hymn called My Hope Is Found in Christ Alone. And I said, Stuart, 
I think this should be, we should use the rallying cry of the Reformation. I think we should use the incredible at the front end. So mm. <clears throat> my sole contribution to the actual lyric and then what I did was I flipped around the first line to make In Christ Alone be the title of the song and the first three words. Said, that is the three words that every pastor is going to want to finish the sermon with. And so that's how, that's how it came to be. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm.
Well, to our listeners, you can read about the Protestant Revolt and hear the songs of the Reformation at uh, gettymusic.com slash reformation, gettymusic.com slash reformation. Then log on to uh, gettymusic.com slash Christmas to get your tickets for Sing, an Irish Christmas tour coming to the Santander Performing Arts Center, Reading, PA, Thursday, December 21st. Wow, what a great day. That is going to be so close to the holiday. A beautiful venue, great sound. Uh, tell us about a few of the musical experiences we can expect to enjoy that night. Well, as you know, Irish Christmas began in the year in the year 2010. It was an opportunity we had to do some music for an event with, with Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea, which we'll never forget. And uh, that that really launched this whole <clears throat> this whole <clears throat> this whole project. And uh, we're we're, we're um, each year as it's grown. Um, it's built around crowds. What makes it a unique Christmas show is being hymn writers. It's, we do our show built on the hymns of Christmas, which of course are other 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 carols. And so each year we take the hymns of Christmas and, and do a first half, which is is is, is about the, the joy of artistry. So we. Kristen performs some wonderful, does some wonderful performance numbers. The, the band do extraordinary instrumental stuff. We get some dance as well. And then as it goes, around, goes through, we invite the congregation to begin, begin to become part of it. And then the second half is a, is a carol service. The second half, as we go through, is, is a 45-minute reduction of the lessons in carol services. So we go through the Christmas story in the second half and explain the Christian message. So it's, it's always an exciting occasion for us uh, to be involved, and we, we do love it. And... Um, uh, and then, of course, afterwards, the band do their the band do a jam session in the lobby, mm. and initially going to be encouraging people to sing along with them as they do that. So, they sure there's more singing than ever. There's a brand new brand new sort of hymn book coming out where people can read along with the hymns and sing and take it home with them. You can even get the hymn book in advance online, so that you can so that you can learn your carols in advance for the event. Mm. And uh, so, so it's, it's a really exciting occasion, and 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 a little bits of a cappella singing as well, encouraging everyone to sing in harmony. We're we're so excited about it. But people who stay for the jam session tend to like it. We get we get Baptist dancing. We get all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff happening afterwards. It's, it's a little bit out of control. It is. Well, man, I'm definitely going to be there. There's so many people that are looking for this holiday to be different. They really want to feel like it's Christmas, and this is a tremendous opportunity. You'll find a link uh, at WFIL.com to get your tickets even right now. And uh, Keith, always an honor. Thanks for joining us. Fantastic. Always a pleasure. Look forward to seeing you in Christmas. As we head to break, the music of An Irish Christmas. And later, Dr. Peter Lilback with more on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation as this special Mark Daniel Show Weekend Magazine turns a page.
Philadelphia's Christian Community, AM560 and WFIL.com. And we're back on this special episode of our Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine, the second and final installment of our series saluting the 500th anniversary of the symbolic start of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther's nailing of his 95 theses to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, October 31st, 1517. Here to speak more about that event and the Reformation in general is the man whose video series, The Protestant Revolt, is an ideal schooling for everyone in the history surrounding Luther, Hus, Wycliffe, and other great reformers. Shot on location in Europe, these videos are priceless, and you can review and purchase the set at theprotestantrevolt.com online. Theprotestantrevolt.com. The host of the series, the Reverend Dr. Peter Lilbag, the President and Professor of Historical Theology and Church History at Westminster Theological Seminary. He also serves as the President of the Providence Forum, was for many years a teaching pastor, and is the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, George Washington's Sacred Fire. Dr. Lilbach, always a privilege to speak with you. Mark, it's always a pleasure. I'm glad to be with you and your listeners today. Well, you and I began our dialogue on this subject back in 2012 when that 500th anniversary of the fateful day in Wittenberg, Germany, was still five years away. Tell us first who Martin Luther was and about the Christian world he served in prior to his act of protest. Martin Luther is the great reformer that we see as the founder of the Protestant tradition. He was born in 1483 in Germany, and he became uh, totally unexpectedly a, a early convert 
to the priesthood. He expected to grow up to become a lawyer in his uh, father's mining business to take good care of the family business. But he was walking along one day, and there was a huge lightning storm, and he was so terrified that he fell to the ground, and he made a prayer and a vow to St. Anne, who was the patron saint of miners in his part of Germany. And he said, if you rescue me, I will, in fact, become a monk. He came home to his father. father was furious, but he had to keep his oath. And he went off and became a priest, a very, very sensitive conscience. He constantly was confessing his sins, realizing that he could not do all that he was expected to do. His theology said that God will not withhold grace from those who do their best. And he always wondered, as he confessed his sin, if he had done his best. There was forgiveness, but you had to have done your best. And what if he hadn't done his best? And so this went on. So finally, his spiritual confessor, a man by the name of Johann von Staupitz, said to him, Brother Martin, you have created a whole new sin. And he was terrified and said, what is that? He said, it's over-confessing. You're confessing your sins too much. He said, what you need to do is go and study more. And he was sent off to do graduate studies. He became a doctor in the church, one of the handful of special people in the medieval church who were allowed to read the Bible. And he discovered things in the Bible that caused him great terror and great hope. And so very quickly, two or three quick things that he discovered. One, he said he went into a, a, a library and he saw an open Bible and he read the story of the calling of the boy Samuel. And he said, why is it that I am such a leader in the church and I've never heard such a wonderful story of God calling a child to serve him? And he said, somehow everyone needs to read this Bible. And he began to study it, and he said there were two things that he discovered. One was the phrase, the righteousness of God, terrified him. He believed that God was so holy and right that if he stood before God, he would be judged. He said he trembled at the phrase until one day he had what he called his tower experience. He was reading in the scriptures, and he came across those great words in Romans 1, 16 and 17, where it says, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, and also the Greek, for in it is revealed the righteousness of God that is from faith and to faith. And he saw that phrase that he so hated, the righteousness of God. And he said it suddenly struck him that that phrase could be describing God who is righteous, but the phrase could also mean the righteousness that is of God as a gift to men that is from faith and to faith. And he said, that is what I've always needed, a righteousness that God gives, that I can receive with a humble beggar's hand reached out to receive this gift from a king. In fact, on his deathbed, after he had been blessed in an extraordinary way to translate the Bible into German, start the Protestant movement to create schools and universities and seminaries to establish Christian marriage for the clergy, and on and on it goes. All the things that he did, he said on his deathbed, we are beggars. This is true. Well, when you put Luther in a specific moment in time, there was a practice that was called indulgences. Indulgences basically was a way of dealing with your sin before the church, and many believe before God himself. And it was a way of saying, if you could not do the penance 
that was required for you, you could actually pay a fine instead by purchasing an indulgence. This was a practice that had gone back into the medieval tradition. And in Luther's day, there was a man by the name of Johann Tetzel, sent by the Pope from Italy into Germany to raise money for the building of a vast cathedral to honor St. Peter in Rome. And he basically began to say things like this, As soon as the coin in the coffer clinks, a soul from purgatory into heaven springs. And he basically was saying, with your gift of this purchase of an indulgence, you can get your father or your mother or your child out of purgatory early instead of suffering for millennia under the wrath of God, being purified to get into heaven. It can happen now. In fact, it's so powerful that it can forgive all of your sins, past, present, and even future. And people saw this as an extraordinary gift, so much so that even the poor people traveled a long way, and they spent the money that was set aside for their children's meals so that they could get an indulgence. And Luther saw this as a terrible abuse, where the poor were spending their hard-earned and scarce money for something that was enabling them to become more sinful, not more holy. And so he decided that the only way he could protect his people from what he saw as an abuse in the church was to have a debate with the theological leaders in his community. And so he wrote down his objections and his debating points, and they numbered 95. They became called in history the 95 Theses on Indulgences. And he took them to, according to tradition, to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed them there. It didn't look like as much of a protest as it sounds, because that apparently was viewed as the church or the community bulletin board. Now, penance was the whole practice of having to do something to make up for your sin that was prescribed to you by the church. It could be going on a pilgrimage. It could be saying Hail Marys. It could be fasting. It could be crawling on your hands and knees up the steps of a church. He was saying that's not what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about the change of your heart. And that very first thesis was actually revolutionary because it not only went at the whole idea of indulgences as a penance, but the entire system itself. I don't think he realized how powerful his critique was. But by his time, the printing press had been invented. There are a group of fledgling scholars called the humanists who heard what he had to say. They translated it, they published it, and it spread like wildfire all across Germany. And pretty soon, everybody was talking about it, and the indulgence trade was slowing down. And that created a tremendous confrontation between Luther and the church that he thought he was serving and loving. He had no idea that what he had done was actually push the first domino that started a cascade of movement, of objections and critique of the Roman Catholic Church that has not ended to this very day. We'll have more with Dr. Peter Lilbeck about the Reformation and his video series, The Protestant Revolt, straight ahead. This is The Mark Daniels Show on WFIL. You can hear commercial-free podcasts of The Mark Daniels Show by searching the keyword Mark at WFIL.com. And you can sample and purchase Dr. Peter Loback's video series on the Reformation, The Protestant Revolt, by logging on the ProtestantRevolt.com. Well, Mark, thanks for the privilege of sharing this. Uh, back in the year 
uh, 2009 and the years leading up to it, there was a discussion by some friends who said, you know, it's Calvin's uh, anniversary of his birth. We need to do something to honor that, the 500th birthday of Calvin's birth. And we thought, well, that's a great occasion. And when I was talking to the Reverend Dr. David Hall, who's a Presbyterian minister in the PCA down outside of Atlanta, Georgia, he said, you know what? You guys at Westminster ought to make a video series that takes people on the story of the Reformation so we can use it as an educational tool. Well, I thought that was a great idea. I didn't know what I was getting into, and I said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. Well, here we are some four or five years later finally finishing the project. Uh, we didn't have any really money to do it. We've been working by faith, and the Lord has provided just enough all the way through. Till now we have about 12 videos, about 25 to 30 minutes each, that take us from the Reformation of Luther to the story of Calvin, looking at these Reformation mottos. And the story is unfolded by being filmed on location in the great places where they occurred. We have great scholars that we've been able to connect with along the way who give their insights. So they're beautiful cinematography by a first-class videographer who's done it. It has the story that develops the Reformation from Luther's Day right to the American experience of religious liberty. And it goes step by step, and we have these great scholars and this beautiful filming, and they're just now beginning to be available, and it's exciting to announce their availability on this Reformation Day. So here's some of the titles, for example. We have uh, a promo that's you know, maybe two or three minutes that you can use to just get people interested. We have one that overviews the entire series. And then the titles are The Vicar of Christ, which is looking at the authority of the Pope in the medieval time. Then the priesthood of the believer. And then the curse that William Farrell put upon John Calvin. We call it the curse of Jonah, saying, if you don't come and help us in Geneva, may God curse you, Calvin, in your studies and your desire to go be an independent scholar. Calvin said his heart was so terrified that he said, I'll stay. They changed history by making Geneva one of the greatest centers of Reformed and Protestant theology. We have one on the cross and the crown, a city on a hill about Geneva and the church and state, a story about John Knox in Scotland. And we even have one of our segments that takes a look at how the Reformation impacted the nation of Spain. Uh, there are many people who say, well, there was no Spanish Reformation, but that's not true. There was an extraordinary movement of the Reformation that really took hold. Of course, it confronted a movement called the Inquisition. The Roman Catholic Church put together a powerful, deadly force to destroy the Reformation, and it included the dungeon being burned at the stake, trials where you were accused of things and you did not even have a chance to defend yourself. It's one of the darkest stories in the history of Christendom. And yet, even in the midst of that, there were people who translated the Bible into the Spanish language. In fact, the Spanish evangelical movement that's all over the world today, their Bible that they used when they preach and study was translated in Spain right in the middle of the Inquisition. And it's spread all across the world, as we've said. So we end up our series then actually looking at how the Reformation came to America with the Pilgrims and the Puritans, the Anglicans, the Quakers, William Penn's Pennsylvania. We show how religious liberty in America is a direct byproduct of the Protestant Reformation that has created up till now the freest nation in history for the matters of the conscience. 
one of the fruits of the Reformation. Well, allow me to take a moment and ask about this. As a Sunday school teacher eager to use this material for my class, is this going to be like, you know, deep stuff way over our heads? Nope. (laughs) One of the great things about a video series like this, because it's filmed on location, is that the pictures speak the message along with whoever's speaking. It's beautiful. It speaks directly to the heart and to the person who's interested. And those that are speaking are generally pastors who are used to communicating to the classic one-room schoolroom on Sundays. They speak in a way that I think teenagers to beginning seminarians all can study and find something that will benefit their hearts. The key ideas of the Reformation and what it was all about from biblical authority and the cross of Christ and justification by faith, all of these things will become clear and I think understandable. So we're very excited. In fact, the introduction and everything, it's all going to be made available online. And, of course, that's where they are right now. You can log on to ProtestantRevolt.com and watch the entire series there online, ProtestantRevolt.com, And uh, I think you'll recognize the hosts for this series. It's awesome. Dr. Lobach, thanks for joining us. And, Mark, I, I hope that the Lord will continue to bless your ministry, and we're so grateful for the great gift of God's Word, which is the byproduct of the Reformation, the privilege for everyone to have the Word of God in their own language. And that's one of the things that you celebrate in every one of your shows. So keep up the good work. The last word for this day here on the Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine. Quinn Tucker joins us. For many years, she's been my on-air partner. Every year at this time, exhorting and imploring you to give Thanksgiving food boxes to those in desperate need right here in our hometown through City Team Ministries. We'll speak in person about that in a few weeks. But for now, on the phone, Quinn Tucker, City Director. It is great to hear your voice. Thank you, Mark. It's so good to talk to you, too. Well, admittedly, our eyes and our attention have been turned elsewhere over the past few months. I mean, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, hurricanes, famines in diverse places, as uh, the Bible might say. But we really have a flood of poverty and need right here at home every day of the year. And this is the season we need to remember how blessed we are and to give thanks to God for his provision. Then offer that gift of mercy to those who are less fortunate than ourselves right here in our own hometown. Remind us in what ways City Team serves as a mission of mercy for the people of one of the poorest communities in America. Well, I think you're right on that we all look around and feel like the problems of the world are so great. And what can we do and how can we help? And what I find to be so special about serving and ministering here at City Team is that it gives me and it gives others in our community a real hands-on way to help people who are struggling right now. Right. So City Team's part in that is that we're a real safe haven for people who need help with food or clothing or if they need long-term help to work on overcoming addiction and poverty in their lives. That's where we are. Um, but we really rely on a broader community. There's only a few of us who work full-time at City Team to be the hands and feet of Christ to people when they are struggling, whether they're hungry, feeling alone, feeling like they're lost. Um, we're that safe place for people. Well, there are indeed many ways our listeners could help through City Team. They could serve as volunteers, uh, as prayer partners. There's a lot to be done. But we focus every year on this holiday food box. I'm wondering what those grateful families will find in the City Team holiday food box they'll receive this year. What we love about these food boxes is they really are a full Thanksgiving meal 
for the family. So they'll each person will get a frozen turkey that they can prepare, and then inside will be a box filled with some canned goods and stuffing and a dessert mix. Uh, we want people to have enough food for a large dinner, but then also leftovers for a couple days as well. Are we staying at $35 this year for the cost of the food box? Yeah, believe it or not, we're able to still get everything that we need at that at that cost of only $35 because we do a lot of networking. Um, so your money can go a long way when you donate to City Team, which we're really proud of and make a pretty broad impact. All right. Again, each food box costs $35, so it's easy for many who are listening right now to give two or three or five food boxes. All our listeners need to do is to locate the City Team banner at WFIL.com and click through to give securely online. Imagine how blessed you'll feel at Thanksgiving because you helped a family in need in your neighborhood. Enjoy a special meal as well. Uh, Quinn, it's always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing you here. Thank you so much. 